If you have your Bible, uh, please turn to the book of Hebrews, or if you want, it might be easier to think of turning to James and just uh, looking at the facing page, uh, because we're going to be looking at just a couple of verses in Hebrews 13 today. If you're a guest with us, I'm so glad that you um, have joined us today. We trust that you have already been blessed as we've been looking into God's Word together with songs, with prayers, with the catechism that points us to the great truths of God's Word, and now as we look into His Word together for the sermon. Uh, This time will be a little different than what we usually do. You found us uh, near the end of a series on the church, uh, talking about what we do. So we mentioned last week this series is a little meta. It's like we're, we're talking about what we actually do all the time. We're saying, this is the church. And it's like, but we're the church. And it's like, right. Um, so we're almost done with that feeling. Uh, we have that one this week and then next week, and that will be the conclusion of this series. But we've been talking the last couple weeks about the church's mission, about what the church is doing, about making new disciples and maturing existing disciples, and talking about how we all work together for that. And today we're talking about how God has given us different roles in that mission that he gave us. And there are ways that the sermon today could be uh, really awkward because I'm going to be saying things like submit to your leaders and be subject to your leaders and honor your leaders and stuff like that. And you're like, but you're, how can you? It's like, well, we're going to look at, we're going to see the Bible say it and then talk about the limits of that and how leader, what leaders are supposed to be for members and how members are supposed to respond to leaders and interact with each other. So that's what we're going to be doing today. It could be really awkward, but I don't think it has to be as we talk about leadership and membership in the church. So if you have your spot in Hebrews 13, I'm going to read just verse 7 and verse 17, and we'll look at a few other texts today as well. So this will be a little different than what we usually do where we're just working through a book of the Bible and here's the text. We'll be bouncing around a bit today. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Then skip down to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love for us that you've shown most clearly, put on display for everyone to see in sending your one and only Son to live and die and rise again for us. We thank you that indeed our only hope in life and in death is that we do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to to you, body and soul, in life and death, now and forever, and to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we seek to live as your people, would you help us today? Would you give us grace? Would you help us to see what you want us to see? By your grace, would you continue to make us into the people that you want us to be? That what we do would line up with who we are already in Christ. And so we look to you. Would you meet with us now, Holy Spirit? Lead us, guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The big idea this morning is this. 
Leaders and members in the church must pursue their God-given roles under Christ, the chief shepherd. Leaders and members in the church must pursue their God-given roles under Christ, the chief shepherd. And the emphasis here is that whatever our role in the church, and there are different roles in the church, we are called to humble service. So it can be scary, even the verses that we read already, right? It's like, obey leaders, submit to leaders, be subject to leaders. You're like, "Mm, I don't know, I've seen leaders do some bad things. Like, Yes, leaders can do bad things. And so this is not absolute, because, but, but even that the words are there, it's kind of like, how, what are we going to do? How do we do this? There are God-given roles, and they're defined. They have what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be doing it. But in each of those roles, we are called to humble service. And so there are two kind of leadership roles within the New Testament that we see primarily in the church. We see elders or pastors or overseers. We see all that as as one role. And then deacons and then members. So we'll spend some time talking about elders, just a little bit of time talking about deacons. Lord willing, we'll be doing more on that in the future. Um, And then talking about members. Okay, so that's kind of the structure. That's where we're going. Again, this is very different than what we usually do on a Sunday, but it's just for us to be thinking together about who we are, the roles that God has given us in his church. So for elders or overseers or pastors, the requirements are listed in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, but along with those requirements or qualifications for character and somewhat gifting, There are descriptions of what elders do. Those are found in several different places, and we'll look at a few of them along the way. In 1 Peter 5, just before the verses that Jimmy quoted a few minutes ago, Acts 20, 28, and really most of that chapter is seen as instruction for elders. Um, There's a lot throughout the pastoral letters or pastoral epistles. So those are 1 Timothy 2 Timothy and Titus, those are letters written from Paul to men that he had trained up for ministry and left in different places to serve the church and to lead the church, and he gives instructions to them. And then also the couple verses that we read here from Hebrews 13. When we talk about uh, obeying your leaders and being subject to leaders, one of the elements that gives us some safety there is it's not a singular leader other than Christ. Christ is the chief shepherd. He is the singular leader to whom we look. And so we'll see throughout the New Testament, as you're reading the New Testament, you'll see the principle of plurality. So in Titus 1.5, that's one place where that shows up. Paul is writing to Titus, someone he's trained up and left behind on the island of Crete, and he told him to appoint elders in every town. And the purpose of that is that there'd be more than one elder for that church. And there's some safety there because there are more, there are more than one leader. There are multiple elders, those who will pastor, who will shepherd the people of God. 
And so plurality is important, and it's something that we practice here. And so even though, yes, there's a way in which my role is a little different than the other guys on the team, I'm preaching uh, the most and leading from the front the most, I'm not the pastor of this church. Aaron, Danny, and Richie are your pastors too, and perhaps more importantly than that, Aaron, Danny, and Richie are my pastors too. So there's never a moment where one person is like, oh, look, we got these nice little categories, leadership and membership. I'm in the leadership category, and all you guys are over there in the other one, and I'm above. We're never allowed to go there because every pastor, every shepherd, every leader in the church is also one of the flock, is also one who struggles, is also one who still stumbles and falls, is also one who at times will need encouragement, exhortation, even correction, and who needs to be shepherded himself. And so that's a principle that we want to guard. And as a congregation, we should be jealous to guard, that we never put any one person in the spot where we go, without him, we've got a problem. No, it's without Jesus, we have a problem. Let's listen to what he thinks. He's the most important. No, no, no. We we listen to what he thinks. He is the most important. And he has spoken to us in his word. So our other three pastors are not just guys who like do what I want. It's like, guys, I have a plan. Now, Now we're doing it. Come on. And if you're not on board, we'll find someone else. That is not how we operate because that is not how Jesus calls us to operate. They don't work for me. Even our leaders are also members. We are not yet perfected. You can just ask the lovely lady in the back. Well, she can tell you that I'm not perfected. You'll have to ask some other people about the other guys. But we need encouragement, exhortation, and even correction too. And so what is it that pastors are supposed to do? Kind of establishing that, saying, okay, here's some places to find stuff. What is it that pastors do? Uh, We've talked earlier in the series how uh, our model is not one of CEO, right? It's not a business model. It's a family model because the church of God is the family of God. And even in the qualifications there in 1 Timothy 3, And in Titus 1, there are references to family life. If he doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he manage the household of God? And so leading a church is more like leading a family than leading a business. And so what are we supposed to do then? If we're we're not a business in that sense, and like, okay, let's just just get things done, what are we supposed to be doing? A, A key text here is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. And if you want to turn there, you can. I'll, I'll read it, and we'll think about that some together. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. This is Peter, an apostle, writing, saying, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. What are you supposed to do? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so there's kind of from our our big idea, right? All of us should be clothed with humility. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And that's for, for those in leadership roles and those who are members. We are all to be clothed with humility, humbling ourselves under God, under Christ, who is the chief shepherd. And so what do pastors, elders, overseers do? They care for the flock. They shepherd the flock. There's oversight that is being exercised, but not because they're being pulled to do it, right? Not under compulsion, willingly, like God would have you. Not for shameful gain. It's not, okay, well, I don't really like doing this, but man, the money's good. It's like, no, but eagerly. We're supposed to be eagerly moving toward the flock in love, doing what God has given us to do. Not domineering over those in your charge. And that's an important word to pastors and to those who would be pastors. If it's just because you like being in control, don't seek becoming a pastor. If it's just because you like being up front, don't seek becoming a pastor. If it's just because you like telling people what to do, do not seek becoming a pastor. That is not the calling. That is not the purpose. That is not what it's for. It's to shepherd the flock. And instead of domineering, he says, but being examples. It's to live and lead by example. And so we can tease these out in a few ways and then support them also with other scriptures. We're to care for the flock and also to defend the flock. Acts 20, 28, as Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, as he's saying his final goodbye to them on the beach, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And those last few words are a reminder What are we doing? This is a flock that Jesus gave his own life for. Not for a pastor to have his own little place where he can be seen and known and loved. These are the people, the precious people that Jesus lived and died for. And so we're to pay attention to ourselves and to the flock. It involves teaching and preaching the word of God. We shepherd, but not just by saying, like, here's what you do. It's like, here's who he is, and here is what he has done for us, and here is what he is calling us to. Kind of the classic text on this, though there are several, is 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul, again, is writing to Timothy, his protege, says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Wow, this is serious. What's Timothy to do? Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is what Timothy was called to do, and this is what elders who follow in his footsteps are called to do. We're to teach and to preach the word, to use the word to shepherd the flock. Saying the truth even when it's difficult. Saying the truth even when it's unwanted. Right? And we say, no, give me something else. Tickle my ears a bit. Tell me what I want to hear. It says, no. Even though people will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, preach the word. Through their leadership, pastors are also called to raise up new leaders. And by God's grace, we've been able to do that here over the years and see several sent out into church plants and to help other churches and also raised up to serve here. First, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Paul says, You then, my child, again speaking to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so a pastor, an elder, an overseer isn't just to go, well, that's nice, I've made it. Which that's, you can ask the guys who are your pastors here. It's like becoming a pastor is not making it. It's not for that. It's not to say, well, here, here I've arrived. It's to say, okay, God has called me God has positioned me. We saw it's the Holy Spirit who has made you caretakers of the church. And we're to find others to carry that on. You go, well, we're kind of young. We don't need a replacement yet. It's like, how many, for those of you who've been here for a while, how many pastors have you seen raised up and ordained in this church? I should have counted because I didn't think of the question until just now. It's a bunch. Right? Those of you who've been with us for, I've been here 15 years. Paul's been here a lot longer than that. Right? Even just in the last 15 years, the people that God has brought here and that have been raised up and have been ordained here and are sent out now and are leading other churches or are leading who are your pastors here that you've gotten to watch grow up. You heard their first sermon. And you came to the preaching nights to encourage them and heard actually probably not too great sermons. And it's so sweet to be visiting with some of you and talking with you. And then, and then that guy preaches his third or fourth sermon. You go, wow. He's really growing. His progress is seen by all. Why do we do that? It's like, well, we think God has plans. <laughs> and God has given us his word. And it's what we are called to do, to raise up new leaders, whether they will be pastors, shepherds, overseers here, or whether they'll go out from here and shepherd the flock of God somewhere else. It's part of our calling to raise up new leaders. And it's our calling, as we mentioned already and saw 
in 1 Peter 5 to lead by example. The, the power, the authority, the weight of our leadership ultimately comes from God's word. Right? We must be saying, this is what God has said. But then after that, we must, as your pastors, be setting an example in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, in the way that we serve, right? Because if we're really good at saying, this is what you need to do, but you know we're living a completely different life than the one that we hold out to you, why would you follow? What's the point? What are we doing? And so Paul, again, to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth. This is one that ends up on youth group walls. I can say that safely because I know it's not on our youth group wall. Um, it was definitely on a youth group t-shirt that I wore in high school in my youth group. Um, and it's not totally out of place there, but Timothy was not in youth group. He, he was a pastor who happened to be young. And maybe there would have been older people who look at him and go like, eh, I don't know. This was more of a concern before my beard started turning gray. Let no one despise you for your youth, but what? Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. It's both. It's not just like, well, I'm trying to live a good life. It's like, no, this is what we're called to, to exhort, to teach. But we're called to lead by example. Again, to Titus, Titus 2, 7 and 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And so those who would be pastors, overseers, shepherds, are to care for and defend the flock, are to teach and preach the word are to raise up new leaders and ultimately are to lead by example, lead through their service. And it's our practice here, we believe, and we believe it was the biblical practice, that since the elders have the responsibility to shepherd the church this way, it makes sense for them in the, the polity, the government of the church, to have the authority to carry out the responsibility that the Lord has assigned and so that is our practice here, and for those of you who are um, moving toward membership here, we'll talk more about that when we um, get together to answer questions and kind of fill some things out from this sermon series. But that's elders, pastors, overseers. As I said, just a moment on um, deacons. Deacons are also leaders in the church. You see many of the letters, the New Testament letters, are written to the, the pastors and the deacons. And the saints, or the elders, and the deacons, and the saints. And so deacon is also an office of the church. You can find requirements for deacons in 1 Timothy 3, right? After the requirements, the qualifications for pastors. And we look to Acts 6 as a model for deacon ministry. And, and you remember that that was the time where there was a complaint uh, about the daily distribution of food to the widows, that those who were Greek-speaking weren't getting the same treatment 
as the Hebrews, and the apostles said, well, we want to be able to stick to prayer and the word, and so we're going to appoint, let's, let's appoint together, and the congregation uh, appointed, uh, put some men forward, and then the apostles, in that case, because this was that first church in Jerusalem, said, yes, this is good. These are seven men who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they took over that ministry. They helped with a difficult problem that could have been very contentious in the church and led toward peace and toward practical service. And we look to Acts 6 as a model for deacon ministry. Even though the word deacon means servant. Their goal is to serve the needs of both the church and the community. And it's a role of spiritual and practical service. This is an area in which we need to grow. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we don't have any deacons right now. We had one pass away. We had one move uh, too far, uh, far enough away that it made sense for them not to be here anymore, and we haven't yet filled those roles. And so we may be talking with some of you, and there may be some of you who uh, God is leading to serve our church in this way, by serving as deacons, who will help meet practical needs, but also provide spiritual care for people as we work through difficult issues and say, okay, who are the people that God has called to do this, who are right here among us, who are part of our family right here? So I'm going to leave that there for now. Those are the two in the the leadership category. Those are often recognized as the two offices of the church, elder, pastor, overseer, and deacon. And then for members, And that's most of us here today. Some of you go like, boy, these are all great exhortations. I wish the other pastors were in here for this. I see you out there. Thanks for waving, Richie. He's listening. Aaron's teaching the three to five class. He's serving, which is what he does, and you you know. And so here's the part that is the, the most relevant for the most of us. What are we called to do as members of the church. Well, we are called to respect those that God has appointed to be leaders in the church. We respect leaders. Key text here is 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. This is near the end of that letter, and he's just in some like quick exhortations at the end. Paul says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So says, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And so for those who are serving well as pastors who are serving with the word, they're to be honored and esteemed very highly in love because of their work. So we respect leaders. Next, we submit to leaders. And that was the the text that we had you turn to in Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And that's something that I can tell you our, our pastors take very seriously, that we will give an account. It's not just like, here's a position, oh, I get to do stuff. This is serious. It's something before God, he has called us to do. 
He has appointed us, and we will answer for how we have done with his appointment. And you have a part to play in that. That's, that's the reason that's given. Why do we obey and submit? It's because the pastors are caring for your souls, keeping watch over your souls. They're going to give an account. And so the exhortation becomes, let them do this with joy. Try to make this easy for your pastors to lead you well. Not to make life easy for your pastors. Okay, we've got to be careful with that. It's like we can misuse something like this. Like, you guys should do everything to make my life as easy as it could possibly be. And here's my verse, right? It's like, no, make it easy for me to do what God has called me to do. Make it easy for us as your pastors to do what God has called us to do. So respect leaders, submit to leaders, support leaders. This includes financially, but also with encouragement, and mainly, I think, by walking with the Lord together in humility and love. That's the kind of support that we would really want and that we so gladly receive from you all. 1 Timothy 5, 17-21 is a key text here. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And then he kind of pivots and talks about what do we do when there's a charge against an elder? Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. And so we're to support leaders, but that support has limits, right? Right in the, hey, make sure you honor those who do well. It's like, sometimes they're not going to do well. What do we do then? Right? Well, it says support. It says obey. I guess I just have to. It's like, no. He gives us a process. And we want to be wise in that process and not rush to judgment. That's what he's trying to get us not to do, right? It's like, don't prejudge, don't show partiality. But if there's an elder who's continuing in sin, we don't just quietly put that away. It says, rebuke them in the presence of all that the rest may stand in fear. So even these commands to, to support, to be subject, to obey, are not absolute. There are limits. Because the leaders that you can see here are not the ultimate leaders of your life. Right? We have a role in God's plan for the church. But we are not ultimate. Jesus is. We look to him. Next, we imitate Leaders. We saw in the part for, for elders, pastors, that they're supposed to set an example for the flock. And here's the call for us as members. We're to follow that example as the leaders follow Christ. And that was here in Hebrews 13 as well in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So the good news is you don't have to wear a red buffalo check shirt 
right? You're like, well, got to imitate our leaders. I saw two of them up there today. I'm ordering one tomorrow, right? That's not the point. It doesn't mean you dress like them or walk like them or have their accent or any of that kind of thing. Sometimes we can get that way. It's like, boy, he's a really good preacher. I'm going to copy that sound. It's like, no, right? It's not to sound like. And some young preachers you can get, it's like, boy, he sounds a lot like this other guy who's really popular. Like, hopefully he'll grow a little bit and find his own voice and not be copying John Piper, Tim Keller, or someone else. So the point isn't, you know, learn the same instruments that they play or do the things that they do, enjoy the same sports that they do or hobbies or whatever, because that's what a real Christian does. No, this isn't about our hobbies or our outside interests. It says imitate their faith. Follow them in the ways that they are following Christ. And isn't that a gift from the Lord to give us people to, to look up to and go like, yeah, I want to be like that. Now, none of the rest of them are in here right now. But each of us would be the first to say in, in the race, like, we're not perfect. Don't follow us exactly. And yet, how many times have I been talking with, with some of you and said, like, yeah, like, Danny, right? You want to be like that. <laughs> right? There, there's a reason... These men are in the role that God has given them. And I'm so grateful that each one of them is here and part of our family and part of shepherding me and part of going like, hey, have you thought about this? Hey, how's your heart about that? It's what we're all to be doing for one another on some level. And it's good. It's a good gift from God to give us men who aren't perfect, but that we can look into his word and say, okay, I, it lines up. Again, not always, not in every way, but it lines up, and I want to follow as they're following Christ. And then I'm, I mentioned this at the beginning of talking about members, just kind of generally. Pursue love and unity with one another. It's like, What's the way that would make us feel like, wow, it's easy to do what God has given us to do if each one of us is doing what God has given us to do? And we're loving one another like the family that God has made us into. And we're working together like the body of Christ that we are. And we're seeking to do good to our neighbors because we are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Those are the things that when we, when we know that's happening, like, yes, yes, this is what we want. This is what we're hoping for. Among the many exhortations that Titus was supposed to pass along to the people in Titus 3, says that they may devote themselves to good works. And just a couple notes as we're kind of winding down here, talking about pursuing love and unity together. We also understand that doesn't always happen. There's sometimes it's hard because there's some really bad sinners in this church. And I know it's not you. And there's times you're like, I can't believe they did that. And we can, I mean, I guess I, I'll sit in the side room if they're going to sit in the main room.
I see even families that are split between the side room and the main room. What's going on? Now, I'm not aware of anyone doing that. But I know it can, it can become an idea, right? It's like, ah, sure, I forgive them, but... Mm, mm, mm. And I know, again, none of you would ever do that. But just in case it ever happened... One of the things that, as your pastors, that we want to provide and make sure every member knows about, and we haven't talked about this from the front in a while, we do talk about it in every membership class, is that we provide assisted peacemaking. There's sometimes that you go like, okay, we're trying, we're talking to each other, and we're not, you know, it's like, well, you did that, and you did that, you said that, you said that, and we just, we can't get there. You say, well, that should never happen, and you're right, it shouldn't. Um, And also it does. And so for those moments, that's, that's one of the times, one of the ways that we want to care for the flock and shepherd the flock of God that is among us. And I'm joking about it being a hypothetical thing. It is not hypothetical. It's reality. And there are times that we have done that here And by God's grace, in almost all of those times, the way it works out is by the end, people are listening to one another and turning from sin and asking forgiveness and granting that forgiveness and embracing one another and walking forward in love. And it's beautiful when we get to witness that. And so if there's a a difficulty in a relationship, perhaps right now, or a difficulty that pops up in future months here. It's not just like, well, I can't go to that church if they're going to go there, or I, I can't be in the same space. I'm sure glad we have a side room. It's not that. We want to walk together like the brothers and sisters that Christ has made us, like the parts of the same body that Christ has made us by his grace. And so one of the things that we do is we try to help with that. And we're glad to do that, to listen and to evaluate and to try to help each other see and to guide toward peace. Another way that we all participate as members is in, and this is scary next couple words, church discipline. Depending on your background, church discipline can mean all sorts of different things. And usually we associate that with trotting someone up in front of the church and telling about their sin. Uh, Sometimes it's they've already left the church and we're going to tell you about all the sin that they did. And there are times when it is important to do that. But usually we think that's church discipline. Church discipline is when there's some kind of public thing being done. But most of the time, church discipline is actually private. When we think about discipline, right? That's just being formed into the right mold, right? That, that's the goal with discipline in sports, discipline in child rearing, discipline on an instrument, right? As you're, as you're learning music, it's like, no, you don't do it like that. Well, why not? That's an arbitrary rule. It's so that you don't hurt yourself later. You just don't know that because you're six, right? That's why I'm the teacher, and you're the person who's learning this instrument. And so discipline is something that can happen in a big way, but it also can happen in a very small way that basically almost no one knows about. 
reaching back to 1 Thessalonians 5, we had the, you know, remember your leaders and honor them. Right after that, it says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. The people who are the target of that exhortation are the members of the church. That's for all of us. And we talked about this last week when we said that we all have a part in speaking the truth in love. And so there are lots of ways that church discipline happens here that never makes it to the front, never makes it to a family meeting. Because the purpose of discipline isn't to get someone in trouble, it's to turn them back toward the right way. And so we do follow the process of Matthew 18, where if you're aware of someone who has sinned against you or is carrying on in sin that they're not repenting of, that you go alone and you talk to them and you exhort them to obey and to come back on the path of following Christ and walking with him in obedience. And that's the point, is to bring them back. And so if they're saying, no, I, don't, I see your Bible verse and I don't care. I really like doing this thing. Which happens. We bring a couple others and say, this is really serious. You need to come back on the path. You're acting like someone who doesn't care to have Jesus as their Lord. You need to come back. Again, the point isn't, well, let me get some other people on my side it's, let's win the brother. That's, that's the language that Jesus uses when he says, if, if they repent, you have won your brother. It's not you have won the argument. You have won your brother. You have won them back. And then as that escalates through the process that Jesus himself gives us in Matthew 18, it can also involve the entire church. And again, not just so that like, well, now everyone knows. It's so that everyone can join in calling that person back. And saying, this is what it looks like to follow Christ. Will you join us again in following him? The purpose there is to bring one back from the brink. Because ultimately, what does it mean to be a member of the church? And maybe you don't really think about it this way. But being recognized as a member of a church is a recognition of your profession of faith in Jesus. It's a, it's a body of people saying you are trusting in and living like one who has been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That your testimony as a Christian is not just you. Saying, well, sure, I, yeah, I believe. It's that other people who are living with you, who are watching your life and you're watching theirs and are seeking to live together in accord with Scripture, in accord with the gospel through which we have been saved. Your membership in this church, what are the benefits? One of the biggest benefits is you have other people who are helping keep you accountable to walk with Christ and will give a testimony. This is a person who, as much as we can know in this life, is trusting in Christ and walking with him in obedience. And so whatever our role, whether elder, pastor, overseer, whether deacon, whether members, we must pursue our God-given roles under Christ, the chief 
shepherd. Because whatever our role, we're called to humble service because it's all under Christ and because of Christ. Right? So we're talking about things we do and roles we have. But why? He is the Savior. He gave his own life for us. He made us his by his grace and calls us to be part of his family, his body. He's the leader. He's the chief shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. And so ultimately, he's the one we follow. He's the one who will make sure that we make it to the end. We are his now and forever by his grace alone, through faith in Christ alone to the glory of God alone. And so by his grace, let us, whatever our role is in the church, let us love and serve one another under Christ, our chief shepherd and bishop of our souls. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have loved us in Christ. That we who do not deserve to be part of your family are called sons and daughters that we who deserve to be cast out forever are citizens in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Would you give us grace to embrace the roles that you have given us, that none of us would think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but that in humility we would serve one another in love. God, would you do that good work among us. We thank you for all the ways you were doing it already. That in some ways this whole message seems superfluous because of how well people love one another and how well people are following hard after you. We thank you for the grace that you've given and we ask that you'd give us even more and that we would shine as a testimony of your love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.